So Shmuel, here we are, election number three, and we have to ask, what makes this election different from the previous two before it? Well, the previous two were not uh, were not number three. Uh, other than that, <laughs> other than that, I must say it, it's not that different, uh, and you know that's that's the difficult part about this. Israel 360 podcast. We're connecting you with artists, innovators, and change makers from Israel and around the world. I'm Ariella. And I'm Maddie. Welcome to the show. Today on the Israel 360 podcast, we are very excited to welcome Shmuel Rosner, who is an author, a journalist, and a frequent guest on the Israel 360 podcast. <laughs> one of our favorites. Welcome, Shmuel. Uh, as frequent as Israel's election. Hello and uh, <laughs> having me. So, Shmuel, here we are, election number three, and we have to ask, what makes this election different from the previous two before it? Well, the previous two were not, uh, were not number three. Uh, other than that... <laughs> Other than that, I must say it, it's not that different, uh, and you know that's that's the difficult part about this. Uh, people have voted for uh, twice for their government, and they're pretty much set. You know, they they already expressed their opinions twice. Why would they change their view now, having stated it twice? So, if you are a person, you know, who voted twice for blue and white. Uh, there's no reason for you not to do it for the third time. Uh, if you're a person who already voted for Yamina or for uh, Labor twice, you'll do it again. Uh, and thus, we are finding ourselves on the eve of the third election with the polls showing an outcome very similar to the one we already had twice. Um, and one that doesn't allow us to form any coalition. So there's a good chance of us having to have a fourth election if the polls are uh, exact. Shmuel, do you think that having so many elections affects voter turnout or are people just going to show up to the polls and keep voting? Well, voter turnout is is always a mystery and, and you never know for sure until it happens. But I must say that in the first and the second election, people were worried about voter turnout. And ultimately, in the second election, we had a higher turnout than in the first one. Uh, It will not surprise me if this repeats itself for a third time, especially so because what we see between the first and the second round and might see again this time is an increase in the number of uh, Arab Israelis who go to the polls. Arab Israelis are playing a significant role in uh, in this uh, cycle of rounds of elections. And the more they are convinced that there is a chance this time that their party, the party that represents most of them, the joint list, 
will be playing a role in deciding who's the next government, uh, their numbers might grow. And if they go to the polls in largest numbers, then we might see an overall increase in the number of Israelis who go to the polls in this uh, third election compared to the previous two rounds. Shmuel, why is Bibi considered by his followers to be so strong on security when rocket firings have been happening from Gaza and can have continued on for so many years? Well, I think the best explanation for that is that um, most Israelis were convinced that he does um, whatever he can do to prevent rocket fire from Gaza. Uh, you know, those who don't remember Fire from Gaza didn't start with Bibi, it started before him, uh, mostly after disengagement from Gaza. In 2005, Israel under uh, Ariel Sharon decided to pull out of Gaza. And then uh, with governments under Sharon and mostly uh, follow him under Prime Minister Olmert, uh, it appeared that the decision to pull out of Gaza resulted in a takeover by Hamas, and then a beginning of constant rounds of rocket fire from Gaza. Uh, Olmert responded to this by launching uh, the first major military operation in response to Gaza attacks. Uh, Then uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu initiated more such rounds of military response. Um, And these responses do not seem to resolve the problem. They uh, remedy it for a while, they quiet the waters for a while, but they do not resolve the problem. So so you're asking why aren't Israelis um, rebelling against uh, Netanyahu's rule in such case? The answer would be because we, and we I mean the most citizens of Israel, got convinced that uh, a different prime minister will not bring about a different situation in Gaza. It's not the prime minister's fault. And hence, uh, you know, even though the opposition keep criticizing Prime Minister Netanyahu for this uh, situation in Gaza, the people are looking at uh, uh, prospective Prime Minister uh, Benny Gantz and they say, well, we are not convinced that he will change the situation in some way, and hence we see no reason to replace one prime minister with another. Why is Gantz unable to improve in the polls, given the fact that Bibi's facing indictment and the prospect of a long trial? Well, the answer is um, um, because there are enough people who prefer uh, the right religious coalition to stay in power. Um, Netanyahu was successful in convincing the voters that uh, him as prime minister with his, what he calls, uh, natural allies or or his base of supporters is the better coalition for Israel. And again, in, in some way, it's more difficult to convince people in a third election than it is in a first election. In a first election, you know, you see novelty, you might think, uh, you know, it's time to change things around. But after voting twice in the same way, uh, again, why would you change your view 
in a third election, you're already set in your decision. Uh, so you're most likely to just repeat whatever you did in the, in the previous round. And uh, again, Netanyahu doesn't seem to have enough votes to secure a majority and a coalition, uh, but he's not very far from it. And Benny Gantz, on the other hand, is quite far from having a majority with which he can form a coalition that can uh, be effective in uh, ruling Israel. Is an immunity deal for Bibi even possible? And would the Knesset and the public support it? Well, that, that's a difficult question. Uh, his trial did not yet begin. So between now and March 17th, when the court begins deliberations, there is still a chance for him to find some kind of uh, compromise with the, uh, with the prosecutors to, to reach some kind of deal. And um, there are opponents to Netanyahu who believe that between Election Day and March 17th, if he is not elected, if he doesn't get the 61 majority, then he might look for such deal, uh, drop from the uh, from politics, leave politics, and then it will be quite easy to form a coalition because uh, Likud, under someone else, can be a partner for a coalition with uh, blue and white. However, I must say, up until now, uh, we don't see any sign from Netanyahu that he's ready to quit. In fact, uh, he fights for the uh, nomination and then for um, winning this election as hard as ever, if not harder. He's touring the country, he's gathering people, he's having uh, highly successful rallies. So Netanyahu is fighting to, to be prime minister, not to uh, find uh, as only find a solution for his legal troubles. Uh, another path for him, if he does have a 61 or 63 member coalition, is to try and pass legislation that will uh, postpone his trial indefinitely. Uh, if they pass a law saying that a prime minister cannot go on trial until he leaves office, uh, then he's secure at least for a while. But for this, he will have to have a strong and united coalition around such idea. And I'm not sure that any 61-member coalition uh, he can have is going to vote for such, uh, for such remedy or for such legislation. Hearing you talk, I keep wondering to myself, is there any way to avoid a fourth election? Like, what is going to be the factor that helps shift some of these numbers? So there, there are a few factors that could prevent a fourth election. Uh, option number one, um, the right-wing religious camp uh, finds the necessary votes to form a 61-member coalition. Again, uh, they didn't succeed last time. They didn't succeed the, in the first round, but they were not far from it in the first round. Uh, 
really short, only a hundred couple, couple hundred votes away from forming such coalition. So it's not impossible that uh, ultimately enough voters will come to the polls, vote for Netanyahu or one of the parties who support him, and he will narrowly be able to um, form this narrow right-wing religious coalition of like-minded voters and leaders. That's option number one. And then, of course, we will not be uh, in any need for a fourth election. Uh, option number two is for one of the parties to decide that it's time for it to um, go back on uh, promises it made prior to election day. This could be blue and white deciding that uh, sitting with Netanyahu is still better than going to a fourth election. This could be uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties deciding that uh, teaming up with blue and white is not as uh, bad as they say it is now. Uh, this could be a Victor Lieberman who said just a few days ago that the Netanyahu era is over and that he will not sit with him. But he could, you know, change his mind after election day and decide to join a right-wing coalition. Or it could be, uh, under certain circumstances, uh, Benny Gantz forming a minority coalition that depends on the abstention or even the support from the outside of uh, the Arab party, the Arab members of Knesset. Now, this, this is kind of tricky to explain, but let's say um, Gantz and his coalition, they get, uh, I don't know, 54 seats, and the Netanyahu uh, block gets uh, 54 seats, and all other seats are taken by the Arab party, then Gantz can say, okay, I'm going to form a coalition. Uh, my allies, 54 members, will vote for it. And then what I need from the Arab party is only one member of Knesset to vote for the coalition, so I can get to 55 against 54. And all other Arab members of Knesset can just, you know, go and have coffee or abstain. Uh, from the uh, from the vote, and in such case you have a minority coalition. It's not very effective. It will not be sustainable for a long time. But you can make the argument that as long as Gantz can form a short-term minority coalition, this will um, make the Likud party turn on Netanyahu and begin a process of uh, pushing him um, away from, uh, from the political life. So this is kind of a short-term resolution that might ignite the processes that many Israelis are expecting, and these are the processes that will ultimately remove Netanyahu from his seat as prime minister and will uh, make him... Uh, quit politics and uh, deal with his personal issues before even considering coming back to a, to a, to
to be a political leader. So Shmuel, there are two new factors potentially in this election, and I'm curious to know if either are going to have any effect. And the first is that Trump finally has come out with his peace plan. And does the coronavirus play any factor in this upcoming election? So I'll I'll begin with the second factor. The coronavirus um, could have uh, some effect on uh, on uh, voter turnout. We don't know yet. Uh, we don't see many people in Israel avoiding uh, going to public places up until now. We do see Israelis uh, becoming more aware of it and refrain from uh, going abroad. So you you see a dramatic decrease in the number of people who go on vacation to other countries and boarding an airplane, but we don't yet see people, you know, not going to uh, supermarkets or or soccer matches or any other uh, public events. But between now and Monday, you know, if people decide that it's too dangerous uh, to go uh, to polling places, this could drive down um, voter turnout. The second factor, and that's really interesting, is the is the Trump plan, uh, because uh, Netanyahu expected, and to be honest, most of us also expected that the uh, Trump plan and its dramatic um, features will change the minds of many voters. But ultimately, it didn't happen. Uh, Maybe a few voters here and there decided that because of the plan, they would vote for uh, this or that candidate. But the large picture is that people are so much set in their opinions that not even uh, this plan changed their attitudes. You don't see many people saying, oh, Netanyahu is the only one that can deliver and hence we are going to vote for him. And you don't see many people saying, oh, this is a plan that we oppose and hence we are going to vote against him. in fact, you see even right-wing voters who don't, uh, who aren't pleased with the plan, still stick with Netanyahu or one of the the parties that support him. And you see supporters of the plan on the other side who still say, "Yes, we support the plan, and we understand that uh, Netanyahu did something meaningful here, but we still." We are going to vote against him anyhow because we oppose him for other reasons. Uh, We don't vote for or against him because of uh, the diplomatic uh, uh, channels or because of uh, security concerns. We vote against him because we think it's time for him to leave because of his personal corruption and because of his ways and manners and and, uh, pathos and rhetoric. And that's why we are going to keep voting against him, uh, disregarding the great achievement of, uh, you know, bringing about the Trump peace plan. Shmuel, Israel now has not had a stable government or functioning working government in over a year. And I would love to know what are the consequences? 
So obviously there are many, many things that get stuck when such situation happens. Uh, it begins with the budgetary allocations. Uh, it's very difficult for a government to initiate large programs or to support, you know, infrastructure uh, development when there is no way for it to uh, alter Uh, budgetary preferences. Uh, what we have now is basically the uh, the budget we had a year ago divided by 12 for every month and it's uh, it's really inflexible. You can't change anything. So many things are stuck and cannot move forward. And also in the uh, arena of appointments, I'll, I'll give you one example. We don't have a permanent chief of police. for over a year because the interim government is not allowed to appoint anyone for such permanent position until there is a, a real government uh, that gets in. So in these arenas, we see many problems. However, and this should also be said, there are some advantages to not having a stable government. Again, I, I'm not going to... recommend it for the long <laughs> term. But, but at least, you know, I can give you one example. Um, and, it, and it's very interesting. You see, you see uh, localities, municipalities stepping up their efforts and taking more of a role in uh, setting policies. Uh, the best example of this is public transportation on uh, Shabbat, on Saturday. We know that there's been... a very long debate within Israel concerning public transportation on Shabbat. There are people who vehemently oppose it. There are people who think it's uh, outrageous that Israel doesn't have it. Um, without a government, you'd think that such uh, situation is going to uh, remain the same. But in fact, what happened is that certain municipalities, especially in central Israel, Tel Aviv and the area, decided that the lack of government is an opportunity for them to just make a decision and see what happens. And these municipalities, Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan, Herzliya, Ramat Asharon, many other cities in central Israel just started operating public transportation on Shabbat without the government having a real ability to stop this uh, development from moving forward. And I would argue that um, it, it gotten to a point where I don't think the next government can turn the clock back and cancel uh, these developments. So, so I think... In, in fact, the void created a situation in which some things that were stuck because of governmental uh, obstacles uh, were now freed and, and moved forward when the government is not there to, uh, to play this disruptive role of not allowing people doing what they want to do. Shmuel, is there anything else... We should be thinking about or looking at for this upcoming election? Well, I, I think we need to look at the fact that uh, Israelis are really 
really fed up with this situation and really want it to be resolved. Uh, but that sometimes, you know, the uh, agreement between people that something must change does not lead to a solution because uh, they don't see um, this change in the same way. Uh, everybody wants a unity government, but the right wing wants a unity government led by the right and the left want a unity government led by the center-left. So even though we see many, um, you know, we see that many Israelis agree on the, on the principles on what's needed for Israel, uh, we can't seem to find the mechanism with which to uh, bring about the necessary change. Uh, Another, another interesting feature of this election, and, and I would say this period, is that um, it's very difficult for a country to um, say goodbye to a long-lasting leader. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been the, the leader of Israel for many years, and clearly... Um, all three rounds of election are mostly about him, whether we should end his era or whether we want it to continue. Um, and I guess both psychologically and politically, it is not easy for a people or for a country to look at such leader and say, okay, it's time for him to go and we are going to make him go. Uh, some people want to stick with what's uh, familiar to them and with what uh, they uh, seem to think is better for Israel. For other people, it becomes um, a real priority, almost a religious priority, to have someone else, no matter whom, no matter the consequences. And hence, we are stuck. And, and I think there is a good chance that Israel's politics is going to look like this until, uh, until the end of, of the era of Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I'm not sure it's coming next week. It might come later if he forms a 61 or 62 member coalition. He can still rule for a number of uh, years more. But ultimately, uh, he will depart. And until then, we are going to see not necessarily Israeli society divided, but the political arena and Israel's approach to their political situation is going to be highly polarized. So, Shmuel, we'd like to end and ask you what your predictions are for this upcoming third Israeli election. Well, my prediction, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a numbers person and I tend to uh, naively believe in the polls, not because I think they're always correct, but because I, I think they're correct in most cases, and because I see no other way to, um, you know, to, to make a rational um, 
guess. So my guess would be that we are going to get stuck and have a fourth election, uh, probably in the early fall, I would say September. Um, so, you know, we can already set a date for our next conversation <laughs> late, late August. <laughs> Excellent. We will talk with you then, Shmuel. We'll, we'll look forward to it. Shmuel, we want to thank you as always for being a guest on our podcast. Everyone should go check out Shmuel's book, Hashtag Israeli Judaism, and you can read his columns in the New York Times. He also has a great election handbook in the Jewish Journal. And Shmuel, you also have a podcast, correct? I do have a podcast, Rosner's podcast on Rosner's domain. It's a partnership between the Jewish Journal and the Jewish People Policy Institute. And uh, we talk about politics, but also about many other interesting things. Great. Well, please check out Shmuel's work. Shmuel, thank you so much again. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll talk to you soon. It was, it was my pleasure, and you know, I'll take the opportunity to wish everyone a happy Purim. That's the, the appropriate holiday for such political comedy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Israel 360. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Israel360.org. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Until next week, everyone. I'm Maddie. And I'm Ariella. Bye, Bye, Yush. Yush.